Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hello and welcome back to the book of Jonah. We have been looking at really the life of Jonah and how God has been using his life to show his own great mercy, both in how he expresses it to Jonah and how he's trying to help Jonah see how he can give it to others. And so what we have seen first off is that God came to Jonah and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to them and to call out their sin. I have become aware of all that they have become and I want them to change or my wrath will come upon them. And so Jonah gets a ticket and he heads in the opposite direction. He has no interest in going to this people group to tell them about God's wrath. But God responds fairly quickly. When Jonah is on the ship, when he's out to sea, God sends a powerful storm and it comes and it disrupts the entire ship. It threatens to tear the ship to shreds. And the sailors who are with Jonah are fearing for their life, calling out to their gods. But they finally become aware of the true one in Yahweh. And they see that this God wants Jonah thrown overboard. And so that is what they do. They throw Jonah overboard. Because although Jonah might have been disobedient to God, creation would not be. And so as the powerful storm came in, as the sailors threw him over, a fish would come and would swallow him whole. And that is where we begin our study today in chapter 2, looking at what Jonah would do next. This is what it says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, there are a couple different things I want to point out in this stunning, beautiful, poetic prayer. And the first is that Jonah considers himself good as dead, and he's trying to use this, these vivid images and language to describe it. He's sinking to the bottom of the sea. There's no air. He's drowning. He can see the roots of the mountains. Weeds are surrounding, wrapping his head, and he believes that God has put him in a grave. He's put him and placed him in a coffin, and he's headed for death. He's headed for Sheol. Now, what is Sheol? That term is used quite a bit, pretty frequently throughout the Old Testament, and there's some debate about what this place actually is. Some people believe that Sheol is some sort of Hades, maybe some sort of uh, adopted theological place from another religion in the surrounding area, and they're kind of describing this as some sort of after, afterlife or underworld in some ways. Another belief is that this is a kind of purgatory. So perhaps this is a place of in-between where people, all souls go, whether good or evil, and then eventually they're separated after the judgment, perhaps. 
What I think makes the most sense of the biblical material is that this is actually just a physical grave. It's actually just where our bodies go. And this would make sense as to why when the Old Testament talks about it, it uses images like worms and dirt and darkness. It, I think, also makes sense of the fact that both evil and good people go here, right? Because we're all, we all die. We all are ultimately laid in a grave. And lastly, I think that it's also why the New Testament, when it's quoting these Old Testament passages that use this term Sheol, it's usually associated with some sort of physical bodily resurrection that's going to be taking place. And so I think what Jonah is trying to get at is he is sinking deep. He's going and he's headed for a grave. He's dying until he finally begins to seek after God. He finally begins to seek after the presence that he had been running from. And that's the second point of what I think is so beautiful about what happens here. As Jonah says, I was sinking deep, I was headed for death, and then I called out to God and he heard me. He heard me from his temple. He heard me from, his, from where his holy presence dwells. And he lifted me out. He saved me. He's rescuing me from this darkness. And I love it because, again, we're seeing the mercy of God on full display. We're seeing the event of, of Jonah's imminent death and his rescue from that death being seen and shown and how amazing the mercy of God can be and what it can accomplish, right? This guy was headed for death because of his disobedience from God and God saves him. And now his heart is changing, don't we know that we have experienced this before that the events of our life can so many times become the place where God does the best work? I remember not too long ago when I was in the hospital with my son, four-year-old son for 22 days, and we were just trying to figure out what was happening. He had developed some sort of bacteria. It was destroying his blood, and he had multiple surgeries, multiple blood transfusions. His organs were failing, and my wife and I prayed harder in those days than we ever had before. And the truth is that we are so thankful that God rescued him. He's doing so much better now, but we're also so thankful that we'll never be the same, that our souls were changed, were shaped, were formed into something more beautiful than they had been before. God loves to use our circumstance. God loves to use the worst parts of our life to bring about the best. And the truth is, whether that is whether our circumstances are the result of our bad decisions or our sin, or whether our circumstances are the result of us being victims of somebody else, God will always use his mercy, if we allow him to, to change it for something so much more beautiful. And so what an amazing thing that God has done in the life of Jonah this prayer shows us what God can do. And the last thing I want to point out is that this prayer is beautiful because it's not Jonah simply asking God for things. And we just don't hear a lot of prayers like that anymore. We hear a lot of asking. We hear a lot of people asking God to do this and do that and heal him and, and, and all of these things that we begin to put on God. And if he doesn't do these things, he's less God. But the truth is, that's not true. God's mercy, God's grace, God's love and his goodness are overwhelmingly present at all times if we would simply just pause and stop and look and to see how he's redeeming all things. And the more that we can do that, the more we can have a heart like Jonah in this instance where he's just turning to God and he's thanking him because he has realized that salvation belongs to him and to him alone. Rescue, saving, it's his and it's available to us. And the story would continue on. 
Jonah being puked up, let's look at what the text says. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, verse 10 is always a little bit funny to me because literally this fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. So not even like in the ocean. Hopefully there's the body of water is close enough that he can get the nasty filth stank off of him. But regardless, God doesn't waste any time. He goes to Jonah and he says, arise, go to Nineveh and call out against them. The same command that he had given Jonah in our very first chapter. And this is so significant. I don't want to skim over this too quickly. He is giving Jonah a second chance. Yet again, we see the mercy of God. He didn't just want to save Jonah from death. He wanted to purpose him again. He wanted to commission him that he could fulfill his calling that God had given him. And so Jonah begins the trek to Nineveh. And the story fast forwards pretty quickly because we're, we're pretty sure it would have taken probably about a month to walk the entire journey to Nineveh. And as he approaches the city, he starts describing it. And he says, the great city of Nineveh. And again, if you you remember, Nineveh would have been what would have been in what is today modern day Iraq around that area. And he approaches Nineveh and he's like, this is a great city. But we actually think what he means here is not necessarily geographically, is actually important importance and influence that this was a really a major capital within Assyria. And the point is he's trying to make is that this is a city that contained a lot of people. In fact, he says that it's a three-day journey in and out, but unless it's he's talking about the metropolitan area, it wouldn't have been three days from the entrance of the city to the exit of the city. But he could also be referring to the custom and the protocol of walking a day's journey into the city, getting settled, taking it a day to do what you needed to do, and then, and then uh, walking a day out of the city. We're not exactly sure. Regardless, we get into the city pretty quickly, and Jonah begins to preach his message. This is what he says. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Five Hebrew words. That's all he says, and that's when we begin to see things happen. But that number 40 should be a helpful reminder to us. It's used a lot throughout the Old Testament. We should remember that. It's the amount of days that it rained as the earth was destroyed by the flood and Noah was in the boat. It's the amount of years that Israel wandered through the wilderness before they were able to enter the promised land. And it's the amount of days that Jesus spent in the desert as he was tested by Satan. We think that it has to, probably has to do with some sort of purging or testing or trial or purifying that happens within this time, that God has used this as some sort of weight, a number with weight to show that there's purging and purity going on here. This is why when he destroys the earth, it's that right after that judgment, that judgment's taking place, it's purifying, purging the earth. It's why the Israelites were being wandering through the desert for 40 years. It's purging, it's purifying them as a people before they enter the promised land. 
it. And it's why, even though Jesus was sinless, he was still being tested, purified, affirming all the who he was and who he said he was, all the things he said he was going to do as Satan tempted him to, to get off of that path, to disobey the will of God. And then after that 40 days, he starts his ministry. So it seems like there's something tied to this amount here, but God is giving the Ninevites 40 days to establish who are, they are going to become. Will they continue to do the things that are displeasing to God and deserve his wrath? Or will they turn? Will they repent? And some people actually think that Jonah's prophecy here um, is a false prophecy. But I actually think the prophecy doesn't always have to do with future telling. I think sometimes we get that mixed up. We think prophet, future telling. But that reality is that God would give a word to a prophet. And that prophet's job was not to be a fortune teller. That prophet's job was simply to reveal, to tell what God had told them. Sometimes that had to do with the future. Most of the time, it didn't. And in this case, Jonah is simply giving a warning because that is what God has told him to say. Give this nation a warning that if they don't change, I'm coming after it. And what happens, in fact, in Jeremiah 18, is we see a similar, uh, a similar scenario going on with God speaking to Jeremiah. This is what he says. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. You see, we see a clear warning from Jonah, but it seems like there's just this immediate response. They don't even need 40 days, it seems like. The people started to believe it just doesn't take much. These Gentiles who perhaps have never heard of God at all of this Yahweh just hear that that their city is is, is in imminent danger, is in threat of disaster, and they completely and utterly repent. They change all that they began to do. Listen to what it says in verse six. The word reached the king of Nineveh, And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The truth is, we don't know who this king was. We don't know why he responded in the way that he did. But it's not really very important to the story. What's important is that we begin to see the mercy of God. And the point is that this king and these people, they responded Why? Why were they so willing to respond to this foreigner's message about divine wrath? We're not really sure. Maybe it was a miraculous event, just an amazing awakening that happened, similar to what happened maybe in the 1700s in the United States, possibly. If you're a nerd like me, you're always still looking for a natural explanation, and there there are some different ideas of what could have happened. In fact, one of those ideas is that there had been an omen several years before. In fact, we have some texts that we have discovered called the, uh, make sure I'll say it right, Enuma, Anu, and Lil Omen texts. And what they describe is that when people saw some astronomical signs, that they would see them as omens, as warnings. And then they would associate those warnings with a message. So for instance, if there was a solar eclipse, 
they would see that as a warning, as an omen to something that was going to happen. And in fact, we have been able to calculate that there was a solar eclipse in this time period that happened around 763 BC. This would have been when Ashurdan III was the 10th king of Assyria, and it would have been around the same time that Jeroboam II was the king of Israel, which of course is significant because in 2 Kings 14, this is when Jonah tells us, or I'm, I'm sorry, when the author of Kings tells us that Jonah prophesied to Jeroboam II, who was the king of Israel. So perhaps this is an explanation that they had seen a solar eclipse, that the people of Nineveh were waiting, wondering what this omen could mean, and then this random foreigner shows up and tells them this devastating message that their city is going to be overthrown. In fact, from the Enuma, Anu, and Lil Omen text, it says this, if a solar eclipse shows up, it says that this might be the possibility of what will happen. A deity will strike the king and fire consume the land. So it's very possible that they were ready, willing to accept whatever message God may present them with. They would turn. The truth is we, we really don't know. We can't be certain. We don't have enough information to make, a, the, a, to know for sure what exactly happened, why these people responded the way they did. But the point is that Jonah preached a message of warning and they responded. The king himself got off of his throne. He derobed. He put sackcloth. He sat, on, he sat in ashes. He was showing a posture of repentance. Why? Because the God of the universe truly deserved to be on the throne. Because he became aware of what he became, and he told the people to repent. And all of them, from the greatest of them to the least, repented. They all of them took the posture of someone poor and in need and dependent because they realized what they become. They wanted hope. They wanted mercy. Mercy came. This is what it says. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You see what it's saying there? It's saying God relented. God turned away from their evil because they turned away from their evil. God didn't do what he said he was going to do. God instead showed them mercy. And the truth is that this whole story, this whole moment teaches us two really significant ideas. The first is this that we are never too far gone, that the mercy of God is willing to pursue us regardless of how far we may run. It's waiting, it's available, it's accessible to us if we would simply repent, if we would simply become dependent on God. But the other thing, the other really important part of this message is that we must be willing to give the same mercy we have received from God. Are we willing to extend the greatest parts of the grace and mercy that God has given us to enjoy? Because the truth is, we will never fully enjoy the blessings of mercy if we can't learn to give it. That is part of what God is trying to teach us. Why? Because he loves mercy. And next week, we're going to look at Jonah's reaction of how Jonah begins the, to process the challenges that mercy can bring. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.